grace and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast about racial divisions in local churches. I'm one of the hosts, Isaac Adams. This is a summer special. Our dear sister Trillia uh, is wor- is working right now, uh, going to be with us. But I do have uh, a good friend, a uh, brother of mine, someone I've studied under joining us, Dr. Jarvis Williams. Thank you for joining me, Jarvis. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. It's really good to have you, brother. Uh, just so we can get an introduction to who you are, just tell us who, what you do, what you're studying, specifically what you have studied, where you go to church, where you live. Yeah, my name is Jarvis Williams. I teach as at Southern Seminary, serve them as an associate professor of New Testament interpretation. And my uh, primary area of specialization focuses on the concept of salvation and atonement in Paul's theology and those same concepts in Second Temple Judaism, with a particular concern as it relates to Paul with Romans and Galatians. And then related to those issues, I like to think about how atonement and salvation intersect with the concept of race and racism and reconciliation and Christian unity. I'm currently a, a member at Sojourn Community Church Midtown in Louisville, Kentucky, in the Shelby Park community in inner city Louisville, uh, married to my beautiful wife, Anna Williams, uh, going on 17 years this month. And we have one uh, son named Jaden who just turned 10 years old. Mm, wonderful. And we'll get, we'll come back to even some of Jaden's story when we're talking about uh, your book that's about to come out. Jarvis, just uh, explain a bit of your ethnic background uh, because the listeners, obviously, they can't see you, but uh, you're, uh, you're not only a scholar, you're a biracial scholar. So you want to explain a bit of your ethnic background? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an African-American. My ethnic heritage, though, has some, some complexity to it. My uh, father was an African-American. My grandfather was an African-American. My my mother is a combination of African American and uh, and mixed with uh, Anglo uh, heritage. Her mother was uh, mixed, as best as we can tell, and uh, mixed with both Black and uh, and Anglo or White heritage. So I I come to this conversation with someone who is an African American with a multi ethnic heritage, and uh, my wife is a combination of Nicaraguan. And Costa Rican. Her mother's from Nicaragua. Her uh, her father is from Costa Rica, and and she has uh, those two heritages in her. And then our ten year old son obviously has the ethnic diversity of all of us. So this conversation is not only something that is important ideologically, but it's, it's a lived experience that we both share in our family dynamics. I love I love that you go exactly uh, to your lived experience because that's what I want to talk to you about today. Is talking about race with kids, uh, with, with, with people in your family. I'm approaching this as, uh, a brother with a 14 month old. So I'm approaching this, uh, not as someone trying to instruct per se, but as someone trying to learn, uh, from you brother. Uh, and I want to talk to you about a book you have coming out, uh, or that's just come out, Lord willing, around the time of this episode, uh, the gospel in color, a theology of racial reconciliation for families. Uh, what's interesting about this is you have one for parents, a, a book for parents and a, and a book for kids. Uh, it's written by you and Curtis Woods, who's the executive director of the Kentucky, Kentucky Baptist Convention and who you say in the book, uh, is a big brother to you. So we all have big brothers. Uh, thankful for that. And it's illustrated by Ramel and Eliezer Ruiz. Um, and they are over uh, at Patrol, or the folks who are publishing this. 
And uh, just as I've looked at it, Jarvis, the summary of the book is y'all give it her. These are two books that give a biblical perspective on race and how much the good news of Jesus Christ uh, and, and how the good news of Jesus Christ brings about reconciliation. And through these kind of beautiful illustrations, it's just gorgeously illustrated uh, and approachable text. Both books convey big ideas in an engaging gospel centered way. Uh, and I want to just talk about briefly how it came about, uh, because you describe all this in your book, and I want to just flesh this out for our listeners. Uh, the idea for this book came as a result of the uh, conversation that you had with Ramel. Am I saying that correct? Ramel, yes. Yeah. And Eliezer, his brother, yes. Yes. And uh, you were talking to them in Portland uh, at the first Canvas conference sponsored by Humble Beast, so our, uh, our brothers there who do such faithful and good work, brothers and sisters there. And the books come with discussion questions. They come with further scripture reading suggestions, scripture to read with your kids, vocab words to explain to your kids. Uh, and you, brother, one thing I often say about the race conversation is it's like talking in babble. Everyone's trying to go about some construction, and this is just an analogy, but everyone goes about this construction, but we're all speaking different languages and just the frustration that can be felt. So I just so much appreciate the clarity of this book. So you define the gospel uh, as the the good news of Jesus Christ, the announcement that God will restore this fallen universe in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And you grab uh, from a number of texts for that. Uh, but you go further than that. Uh, you define race, a word which can simply refer to the human race or a specific ethnic group, but which can be falsely used to mean a category of people with an inherently different value than other people. And we'll come back to that. I'm going to keep going. You define racism, the poisonous idea of people or governments rewarding social and economic privileges to one group of people by virtue of skin color or ethnic background. Uh, you define more terms, racial reconciliation, whiteness, which we'll come back to. Uh, but the book also includes ways to pray with your kids. Uh, and this podcast is devoted to prayer about these matters specifically. So this horizontal conversation is great. And we're, Lord willing, going to have a vertical conversation uh, as we pray to God and speak vertically. Uh, within the first pages of the book, brother, uh, I love it. In the parents section, you get a list of resources. So folks, I'm sure, are always asking you, what can I read? But just even in the acknowledgement section, you list like 20, here are 20 books that have shaped uh, your thinking as you acknowledge the work that has gone before you to shape this. Uh, the chapters of the book are what is race, what is racism, what is the good news of Jesus Christ, and what is race, what is reconciliation. Uh, and the last thing I'll say um, before I hop into questions is why this book was written. And you say, uh, the fact is that we as parents need to talk with our children now about the underlying issues of racism and ethnic difference. There are three pressing reasons why this is so vital. I'm sure there are many, but you give these three. Reason one are just current racial divisions. Reason two, colorblindness isn't a solution, and it inadvertently perpetuates the racism it seeks to avoid. And reason three, racism is a systemic problem. So Jarvis, let me just circle back to reason one, just the current um, racial division and you talk about uh, a painful story about your son. You want to just share that briefly? Yeah, yeah. One one thing that I'm faced with as a as an African American uh, parent of a brown skin child is that uh, the race conversation is not optional for those of us who parent uh, black or brown or yellow kids. And my son, at a very young age, if I remember correctly, roughly around seven or eight years old, 
had a situation at his uh, school where a classmate said that my son was stupid because his skin was brown. And uh, those words deeply pierced my son's heart. And he came home to me and began to express this uh, to me and, and wept with tears because of the uh, way in which these words both stripped, tr- tried to strip him of being an image bearer created in the image of God, and then secondly, that tried to uh, question the ontological uh, beauty of my son's uh, human identity. And so one of the things that, that I had to do, and I have to do constantly with my son, is remind him of the gospel, uh, but also remind him that God loves his beautiful brown skin and that Jesus' skin, in all likelihood, was as dark as or darker than his skin, and that his skin is something, my son's skin, that is, is something that uh, should not be uh, an object of shame, but it is a beautiful picture of how God has created him, uh, my beautiful brown-skinned little boy, in his image. And, and so practically, when I, as a, as a black parent, am faced with the very real uh, challenge of having to help my son think through racism as a eight, nine-year-old child that he's confronted in a in a Christian context, a Christian school. Uh, I would do my son uh, and the gospel a great disservice by seeking to avoid engaging in that conversation and helping him think through what this means for him as a black, uh, brown skin and Hispanic. Uh, an African American little boy, uh, when he comes up against these kinds of things that he will experience the rest of his life. So, uh, so that's so you're explaining, you know, why you wanted to write for kids, uh, why why you're writing these books. Um, let me ask you a question just about the starting point that you pull that you and Curtis pull from. Uh, as I was reading it, it seemed that you started with the Bible. You started with uh, creation and the image of God. Uh, you know, so you you didn't necessarily even start with any kind of political ideology, but with, with Scripture. Why there? Yeah, I mean, why there is very simple, really. I mean, as Christians, we want the, the Bible to inform everything that we think about reality. And I think um, if we can ground conversations about anything in Scripture, it will help us process better how we ought to engage those conversations as Christians. So we wanted to connect it to creation and and, no, and note uh, specifically how uh, before sin into creation, everything was good and beautiful. And then after sin into creation, uh, vertical relationships with God were shattered and horizontal relationships with, uh, with God were shattered. And then we wanted to try to trace that throughout the, the, Old, the Old Testament and the New Testament as best as we could in a short book to show how God's plan was to restore what Adam lost in the garden, and that plan comes to its climax in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus's saving work includes changing vertical relationships with God and man and horizontal relationships with fellow humanity, but then also a cosmological uh, transformation and renewal takes place as a result of the cross and the resurrection. So we wanted to make sure that our readers understood that this is a Christian and a gospel conversation. 
But then as we develop throughout the book and, and we get into chapters, and this was Curtis's particular responsibility to define categories like race and racism and, and these sorts of things, we wanted to help Christians understand, yeah, we want to understand the gospel and how the gospel shapes how we think about these issues. But we also have to do the, the, the hard work as Christians and know what it is we're speaking the gospel into. Because these constructs of race and racism and the other uh, concepts related to these issues are things that we have inherited in a society, in our particular society in the United States, that has traditionally prioritized uh, white people over black people and other people of color uh, because of a perceived uh, biological, ontological inferiority. And so as Christians who care about the gospel, we thought that, firstly, we, we have to help folks think through what the gospel says about creation, humanity, anthropology, atonement, forgiveness of sins, and how Jesus' death is actually creating a renewal of the cosmos that includes restoring those broken relationships. And then from that, we wanted to then lean into these complex issues of race and racism so that Christians can see that these conversations are gospel conversations. Now, they're not always gospel conversations, depending on who's, who's driving the conversation, but they are gospel conversations when we're looking carefully at the Bible and notice how the Bible is speaking about a larger cosmological work that God has done for us in Christ. Mm, mm. And Trillia in her book, uh, which seems to be for younger kids, because I think you described the kind of age breakdown for your books. You want to describe that quickly? Yeah, I, th- I think the, if I remember correctly, we said in the book we wanted to, to at the highest level, be about around a fourth grade level. Mm. But we, we by, by, by God's grace, we had some great editors. Mm. And our editor-in-chief, uh, uh, Craig, um, uh, or Pip Craighead, Pilp took our manuscript and made two books out of the one manuscript. And so mm. he edited it down so that we, we have a parent's edition that the parents read on their own, mm-hmm. and that has illustrations in it as well. Mm-hmm. And then there's a children's edition so that when the, uh, the parent is reading that book with the child, the child can uh, ask the parent questions for which the parents will already be equipped to answer if they have already read the parent's edition. Mm-hmm. So the content's the same, but it's more accessible for the child than it is for the parent, although both both are accessible. Yeah. I read both the kids' versions. It's a good bit short. It's not a good bit shorter, but it's it's definitely it's it's more condensed, more brought down. It's not the same book. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yeah. And so we we I think we tried to hit at the highest age range would be roughly about the fourth grade age. But but we we think that parents can can read this book with their kids if they're younger than the fourth grade. Mm. Uh, as long as they are able, uh, the kids, that is, to to process concepts mm-hmm. uh, and, and to think critically uh, in their particular age range. Mm. Praise God. I want to go, we talked about definitions a minute ago. I want to hop into some of these terms. But I want to first ask you, why did you define your terms? Uh, so this really did. It it was very clear that you're like this is what we mean by these words. Why? Yeah, one reason we define our terms is because I think often, and we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. when Christians engage in conversations about the gospel, race, or justice issues, we're using different definitions for the same vocabulary words. 
And I think too often one of the challenges in the conversation is is we're th- we're speaking past each other and we're and we're working with the assumption that we all mean the same thing when in reality we, we don't. So we wanted to say here's what we mean by terms like race or racism. We are very much aware of the fact that there will be people who disagree with how we define these categories. I mean, mm-hmm. give you one example. Uh, there are many Christians who think that the phrase racial reconciliation is no longer a helpful phrase because it's assuming the restoration of a relationship between blacks and whites. That never existed. That never existed. Right. And I, I agree with that analysis, actually. But if you look carefully at how we're defining the concept of racial reconciliation, we're trying to connect it back to the fall and which, the garden. And the garden. Right. So Adam, being a human being, uh, was a race, if you will, not a race in the sense of uh, racial hierarchy amongst human beings, but he was a part of the human race. And that's all there were. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all there was in the Bible was the human race that had a variety of different shades and, and colors to it. And the, and the racialized meaning of the term race is something that comes much later mm-hmm. in our history. Um, and so when we define racial reconciliation, when we use the word the phrase racial reconciliation, we're wanting folks to understand we are not talking about a relationship being restored between blacks and whites because we we are aware of the fact that there was no relationship for the most part uh, in much of our history right. uh, in the United States of America. But we're trying to make the point that this restoration includes the black-white divide, mm-hmm. but it is bigger than the black-white divide, that there are uh, red and yellow, black and white um, different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations who are alienated from God and from each other because of sin. But when we talk about the issue of, of race as we have inherited it in the American experience, we define that category and make sure folks understand that we are particularly highlighting the race and racism that's connected to the black-white divide. Um, but we want folks to know that the gospel's provision for that divide is not only for that divide, but for that divide and every other uh, divide that is based upon some kind of othering, ethnic othering of of various sorts. Right. And we talked about, and that's exactly what we had Duquan on recently. We We talked about what about the other other. And we talked about, you know, just... Uh, other ethnic divisions and how they factor into this conversation and the fact that they're there. And what I appreciate about what you just shared, brother, is because a common uh, critique is that, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't even talk about this black-white, so why are we talking about it? And what you were saying is, well, it's clearly connected to the vertical relationship being broken with God uh, at the fall, and then therefore the horizontal relationships being broken, uh, and that it includes this uh, the, this divide and this bl- this black-white divide, but it is not, of course, limited to that. Uh, and it, but it necessarily does apply. It it applies to that. Yeah, in my in my view, I think that if we can't have a serious conversation as Christians in the United States about the black-white divide and how uh, many aspects of uh, American Christianity has perpetuated that d- divide and has built its institutions and its churches on the premise of white superiority and racism. If we can have that serious conversation, I don't think we can have in the United States a serious conversation about the other kind of ethnic divides that exist. That's right. Yep. Duke was saying the same thing. To understand those ethnic divides, you need to understand in part this divide. Absolutely. And I I would also add— Here in the States. Here in the States. And I would also add 
that the the issue of loving loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is a profoundly gospel issue. I mean, you look at the book of Galatians, for example. I just finished writing a commentary on Galatians, which will be out hopefully in in the winter. For our listeners, Jarvis uh, writes a book about every other day, every other day. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll be interviewing him again uh, shortly for his next thirty books. Go ahead. But you look at how Paul in Galatians, just take one example of this, talks about Jesus's death and resurrection, distributing the Spirit. Uh, to Jews and Gentiles uh, by faith. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then Galatians 3.14, so that we would receive the Spirit by faith. And then later on in Galatians 5.13 to 26, Paul talks about walking in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. And walking in the flesh is a pattern of life that is inconsistent with the Spirit, is contrary to the Spirit, and it's a pattern of life that's based upon quarrels and and um, division, divisiveness, and these sorts of things. But in 5.13 and 14, he says, Look, Christ freed you for freedom, therefore stand firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And then verse 14, he says that uh, when we love one another, we fulfill the whole law. And then in 6.2, he talks about the law of Christ. So it seems to me, you read Galatians, that in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ takes hold of the law, and he internalizes it by faith, writes the law in our hearts with the power of the Spirit, and that Christians fulfill the entire essence of the law, the intent which was to love, love God, love neighbor, when we love one another. So I would say because the gospel brings about this renewal within mm. so that we can have the Spirit uh, and, and gives us the ability to love one another, that anti-racist work is gospel work. Mm. When you rightly understand the gospel and mm. rightly understand what the Spirit is doing to create these gospel communities of people mm. who are walking in step with the, with the gospel and not out of step with the gospel, who's walking in the power of the Spirit. Mm. And it seems to me in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, when Peter withdraws from table of fellowship with these Gentiles, mm-hmm. Paul says, Peter, you doing this is causing ethnic division. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening there that would not directly correlate to what we're talking about today, but there is an application to be had there. Mm. Paul tells Peter, you are not walking in a straightforward manner in the truth of the gospel. So Peter's not loving his neighbor in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. In fact, he's despising his neighbor. And that's connected directly to what Paul says later in 5.13 to 26 about walking in the Spirit and loving your neighbor. So it seems to me then, that that these issues are robustly gospel issues when we rightly understand what the gospel is saying in its totality, and then when we rightly apply that gospel in every area of life, not only to our individual Jesus moment, right. although that's important. Right. Let me go back to uh, one of the terms you pick up, which is uh, whiteness. You, you bring this up in the parents' book. Um, you say this, uh, you say, you, you go, you look at Frederick Douglass, a 19th century Christian abolitionist and intellectual who challenged institutional racism, who wrote about the crippling social consequences of slavery. And Douglass said, we are then a persecuted people, not because we are colored, but simply because that color has for a series of years been coupled in the public mind with the degradation of slavery and servitude. In other words, Black and brown people were stigmatized as unequal by a society that privileged whiteness. You go on to say whiteness as an idea of universal purity defined rightness in every sphere of political engagement. So for someone coming to this for the first time, can you break that down for them? Yeah, that that's a very good chapter written by my co-author, uh, Curtis right, Woods. Curtis, Curtis uh, was very helpful, but I think what he's getting at is uh, as he as he cites Douglas, 
and this is a very complex conversation here, so I want to try to speak with clarity. The, the concept of whiteness, just like race, is not about biology. It's about ideology. It's, a, it's an ideological and a, and a social construct. And when we, when we think about race, I think in the modern experience as Christians, I think at the street level, Christians often think that, that they are white or black based on ontology. But, but that's not actually true, that, that we are human beings fundamentally. And, and there was a point in history wherein uh, those who identify as white identify as that because of a construct that was created for the purpose of distinguishing enslaved Africans from those of European descent. And, and the way some historians have described it is this is that the idea of whiteness was a social category or a political strategy um, whereby those of, of European descent, diverse European descent, sought to homogenize themselves into one group known as white in order to distinguish themselves from enslaved Africans whom they identified as heathen and whom they identified as heathen who did not have souls. So then that construct of whiteness was related to uh, a, a form of, of, of Christian identity, if you will, in the, American, in, the, in the colonial experience and then into the American experience. So that to be white meant, at some level, to be not an enslaved African and to be uh, Protestant, uh, if you will. And that construct of whiteness then set the agenda for those who shared in that whiteness, namely Europeans, not enslaved Africans, then it also set the agenda politically, ideologically, uh, economically, and socially for those who were, were black and descendants of those who were black. So then as we talk about uh, race and whiteness as they relate to each other, these two categories, this is so important that your hear- hearers, your listeners understand this, the categories of whiteness and race and race historically have operated in order to prioritize those who are of European descent, and to establish them at the top of the, of the racial order, or create a racial hierarchy, so that the word race itself, uh, historically in our country, is actually a word that entered into our experience in order to prioritize ontological deficiencies within those who were African or of African descent, and ontological superiority of those who were of European descent. And then, and then whiteness actually protected that, you see. And so then as we're talking about whiteness, and this is where some of our white brothers and sisters, I think, uh, we need to be clearer in articulating what we mean to them because some of them hear us critiquing and criticizing or even uh, condemning every individual white person so that if you talk about whiteness, uh, someone has said this to me, that, that they feel as though I'm, I'm saying that is true of every individual white person when, when there are many white people who don't have any personal animosity or hostility toward Certainly. people of color. What I come back and say is, is that when we talk about whiteness historically, and there are many white historians who define whiteness the exact way that I'm trying to define it here, that that talks about a political ideology and, and economic strategy that prioritize those of European descent and 
those who have descended from whiteness have benefits because of whiteness. Mm -hmm. So that even if uh, there are, and there are, uh, many white people who have risked their lives for racial justice and civil rights, have risked their lives and risked their their uh, comforts for the sake of pursuing and unifying all things and all people in Christ. Those who have white skin do have have historically had some cultural and economic and educational mm-hmm. privileges in society because they are in, in society in the American context because of their identification with whiteness. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone who is white has the same degree of privilege. There are poor white people in rural eastern Kentucky, where I'm from, who don't have the same kind of privilege that I have. Mm -hmm. I have some privilege as an African-American man with a Ph.D. who teaches at the largest Protestant uh, evangelical seminary, uh, to my knowledge, on the planet. Mm -hmm. There's some privilege that I have. But, But the fact of the matter is, is I, I have that privilege in part because I have some access to those who have whiteness. Yes, I've worked hard to get to that position of privilege, but I've had some folks who have whiteness who's le- who've levered, leveraged their whiteness to give me some opportunities. And then those in rural eastern Kentucky who are white, who, who have the privilege of whiteness, might not have the same kind of social uh, or even educational privileges that I have but they still have certain benefits of being white in a context that will accept their whiteness right. uh, but reject other aspects of their identity when in that same context they will re- reject my, my, my black and brownness, you see. And so those features of this conversation are important for us to grasp. So going back to your original question, the idea of whiteness, that fundamentally— speaks to this issue of, of an ideology. It's a political strategy, an ideology, and, and this is so important to remember as well, that therefore then historically blackness in this context was defined by those who constructed whiteness as something that was deficient. So in part, what it meant to be black historically has meant to come from the posture of the marginalized. As constructed and defined by those who have white skin, and and your readers who want to or your listeners who want to read books on this, there's so much out there. And one book that they should read is a book written by a, a scholar, uh, a white scholar, name is Carolyn Renee Dupont. She wrote a book called Mississippi Praying, and she helpfully articulates how uh, how whiteness worked in evangelical religion in the South, particularly in Mississippi. And then there's just so many other books as well. Uh, a new book came out written by another scholar, female scholar named Mary uh, Beth Matthews, wrote a book called The Doctrine and Race. Mm-hmm. Talked about how whiteness worked amongst uh, white fundamentalists and white evangelicals, and she showed how black evangelicals were very much aware of the project of white evangelicals, but mm-hmm. had, although they had some overlap with um, evangelicals who were white, they also had some concerns that white evangelicals didn't have. Mm. And there's just so much out there to help yep. us think through these things. But th- that's what I would say about that particular category as it relates to whiteness and race. And that's so, and you, and you flesh that out, you, you, you compact that, I think, succinctly in the parents version of the book. So I think, you know, folks who are, even if they don't get those two resources, which I've, I mean, I want to put those on my uh, list immediately. Uh, they can get, they can go to this parent's guide, which is just so helpful, so slim. And I want to ask, so uh, I love that book, Mississippi Praying. I want to turn to prayer soon because uh, we spend, uh, while we talk, we have this conversation, I want to spend time in prayer. But I, I, I want to ask you this, Jarvis, because you say, um, 
you say that uh, you you bring it up early in the parents guide of the book, parents version of the book, uh, and even in the kids version of the book, you talk about color blindness. Uh, you talk about people use texts like Galatians three twenty eight. You know, there is neither Jew nor Greek, um, uh, and people will say, so we shouldn't we shouldn't care about these things. Uh, we and, and to insist upon them, to insist upon any ethnic identity, is to be um, divisive and to perpetuate racial problems. Uh, but you say that our ethnic identities, what Paul doesn't, Paul does not mean uh, that our ethnic identities are erased. You know, we, we cease to be uh, those things when we become Christians. Uh, but he says they're transformed. So our ethnic identities, when we become Christians, our ethnic identities aren't erased but transformed. What do you mean by that, brother? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think often, uh, this is what I thought when I first became a Christian, that the Christian way to think about race issues, uh, I thought wrongly, and, and others still think wrongly, is to ignore uh, racial difference and to take the posture of so-called colorblindness. And uh, I think when one encounters the biblical material that one is very much aware of the fact that the Bible points out difference, uh, ethnic difference. It just doesn't do it in what we would call a, a, a racialized way. That is, when the Bible talks about tongues and tribes and people and nations, it doesn't make the point, as was made in the more modern understanding of, of, of race and ethnic difference, it doesn't talk about, the Bible doesn't emphasize biological inferiority based on that difference, but it talks about difference as though it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus died for tongues and tribes and peoples and nations. And so when I make the comment that the, that the gospel in Christ Jesus, our ethnic identities are not erased but transformed, what I mean is, is that I am still an African-American man with a multi-ethnic heritage. And uh, I don't stop becoming an African-American man with a multi-ethnic heritage you no know, more than I stop becoming a man once I become a Christian. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man uh, now, Just and I was a man before I became a Christian. But what's different now is, is that I'm a transformed African-American multi-ethnic man, hmm. which means that I can uh, celebrate in ways that are, are helpful and in ways that don't denigrate uh, other groups of people, things about my African-American heritage that are beautiful, and there are many mm -hmm. that are beautiful and in step with the gospel, art, music, mm -hmm. uh, poetry, um, a variety of things that uh, I can celebrate, and I can, be pr I can be happy and proud in a good way to see uh, other African-American uh, people and people of color to to have opportunities that many of our ancestors didn't have, whether mm -hmm. that's being um, the uh, a professor at a school or a business person or a mentor or whatever that might be, um, there there is a there there is something redemptive about an African American man mm. <laughs> who teaches at the Southern Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary right. that highlights the glory of God in Christ in a way that. Wouldn't it would not if I pretended that there is no ethnic difference, and so, so what I want folks to hear is is that in Christ Jesus, and this is particularly important for those of us who are of color, because we're often told that um, 
we should not think as as though we can uh, still be black and Christian or brown and Christian or yellow and Christian. And we begin to think that what we need to do is become culturally white. And we begin to think that, and we begin to self-hate our, our African-Americanness or our brown or yellowness. And, and so what I want folks to hear is, is that in Christ Jesus, we are transformed to live in step with the gospel. And we are enabled by the Spirit to still reflect, to still uh, give expressions of things that are uniquely connected to our ethnic or racial cultural experiences, um, and we should celebrate those things insofar as they are not out of step with the gospel. Mm. So what I mean by that is this. I don't think there are any, and, and, and this needs to be heard very carefully, I don't think there are any sins that are ontologically specific to black people. Right. Right. All of you the, sin this way because you are black. Correct. Right. I, I think all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Black right. black people sin, white people sin, uh, brown and yellow people sin. So there's nothing about my blackness that is ontologically bent toward a uh, a a vice lifestyle uh, or a lifestyle of vice. Um, but here's the point I'm trying to make is is that uh, there were some things that I did before I became a Christian as an African-American man with a multi-ethnic heritage that were out of step with the gospel, not because of the color of my skin, but because of the pattern of life I chose to live. Mm. So whenever there are things that are are out of step with the gospel that were part of my identity outside of Christ, then I resist those things. But there are many things as an African-American man with a multi-ethnic heritage that are uh, part of what it means to be part of an African-American or multi-ethnic culture uh, that shares a variety of different uh, cultural expressions and experiences uh, that are rooted in African-American uh, identity or other kinds of uh, black and brown and yellow identities that we can celebrate. It's a, let me give you an example. It's, a, it's good to celebrate black history. It's good to, to have Black History Month and to remind people, not just black folk, but people in the United States that that the story of black people isn't just slavery. Oh, that's a part of the story. Right. But in spite of that, we have people who have within slavery getting their getting their freedom and then post slavery who have achieved many great things. Mm. And it, and and those great things go beyond the great things that we talk about when we talk about sort of the the big players mm-hmm. uh, that we all know. Mm-hmm. But there are many black people and brown and yellow people as well who have histories that need to be intentionally honored and celebrated because the vast majority of history in this country prioritizes European and white history. Uh, so then to be a transformed black person means that I don't have to walk around as a self-hating black man because I think there's something about being a Christian that requires me not to look in the mirror and say, your skin is brown and your heritage can be traced back to Africa as well as different uh, parts of my ethnic identity. And that's a very important point, I think, to emphasize, mm. is that mm. the goal is not to stop uh, being different a- ethnically. Right. The goal is to love each other in Christ and the power of the Spirit in spite of our ethnic difference and try to live in 
spirit-empowered community with those from different mm. tongues, tribes, and people, and nation, even if they don't speak the same accent, have the same, same color of skin, mm-hmm. or have the same um, particular social or economic or, or physical abilities as, right. as other people. And that right. is my view. That's a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jarvis, thank you so much. Uh, for sharing. There's more things I want to press on there, but we need to press on to prayer. But I'll just share just two even, uh, I just want to tease out just two distinctions that you brought out that I think are helpful. One is that uh, even when we're looking at the texts, I think that are talking about, uh, you know, there's there's neither this male nor female. I think one other primary point there is that what, what God is saying is that he saves without distinction, but those distinctions aren't erased once he saves. I, th- I think I think that's a point he's made, is one point. And then the other point on privilege that um, I think it's helpful to understand when you're talking about, you know, poor, poor whites uh, in rural Kentucky, for example, is that, uh, you know, when we talk about privilege, we're not saying that, uh, you know, a white person's life isn't hard, can't mm-hmm. be hard, or mm-hmm. was never hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we are saying is that the color of their skin did not factor into that hardship. Mm. Yes, that's and, very helpful. Yeah, I saw that. A uh, friend, uh, friend sent me that, and it was a very helpful uh, breakdown. So, brother, one thing you have in, in both the parents and the kids book is you have prayer points. It's actually how you end each chapter. And it's not just, you know, close the book and pray. It's, here are these specific points. Uh, and uh, I just want to ask why prayer? So just some, before I ask, you say, um, you talk about forgiveness. You talk about, you know, so you have this example of your son and that horrific story we talked about at the beginning of this interview. Uh, but you say forgiving someone uh, doesn't mean, or you and Curtis say, when I say you say, I'm talking about you and Curtis. Uh, forgiving someone doesn't mean we pretend we aren't hurt, and it doesn't mean we just ignore whatever they do. Forgiveness means we don't retaliate with hate, but we commit to loving them instead. And you just have prayer points about forgiveness. You have prayer points on so many different topics of the things we've talked about. Why prayer? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one reason we wanted to include those prayer points is because Ephesians 6, our battle is not fundamentally against flesh and blood. I mean, this is a gospel issue, and because it is, it's therefore a spiritual warfare issue. Racism is uh, is of the devil, and it's a spiritual warfare issue. And so we want to understand the gospel. We want to apply the gospel. We want to understand the concepts of race and racism as we have inherited them, inherited them in our society. But we need the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit to do all of those things. And and one means by which we are empowered by the Spirit is through prayer. Mm. And so I think uh, that's one reason. The second reason is I think it, it can help families have family worship together. I mean, family mm. worship is hard. We're busy. Mm. Uh, we work all day. We come home. And, and often, I, I just know in my own life, I, I don't prioritize family worship the way that I should. But this book is a nice little guide to help gather the family together, and then also to spend time praying for that which they learn. And, and the prayers are really the praying scripture um, and applying it in their family. So those are two reasons why we wanted to include prayer. Well, those are two reasons that this podcast exists. That I mean, I, I, I'm thankful for uh, so many podcasts and books that I learned from of, of just this conversation, but uh, exactly what you said. Um, prayer, what you say, I'll just quote you back to yourself. Uh, prayer is a vital part of the process. So take time to pray with your child based on what they're learning and how these topics are touching their heart. 
Um, and just going back to Ephesians 6, uh, y'all also say, all Christians are called to honor God by speaking the truth against racism in a gracious way. That means you no longer see people who have racist ideas as the enemy. They are victims of your enemy. Such a helpful clarification, just saturated with Ephesians 6 uh, truth, brother. So, brother, I'm just grateful for your work. I pray that the Lord brings fruit uh, from this, uh, from these books. I pray that there are many conversations parents have with their kids, kids have with their parents, um, and amongst red, red, yellow, black, and white, uh, so that we can glorify the God in whom, uh, once in Christ, that we are, uh, who considers us as precious. Uh, because he is a kind and gracious God. So why don't we pray now and I'll have you uh, pray and then I'll pray, brother, as we spend time bringing these things before God. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that every tongue and tribe and people and nation has been redeemed by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that his victorious reign at your right hand over every dominion, earthly and demonic, over every power, every ruler, it is proof that Christ has conquered the power of sin and death, yes. and that he has defeated in the cross and the resurrection the evil ideology of, of racism and the various social constructs and realities that come out of that. But Father, because of what Christ has done for us in Christ, we are praying that you would help Christians to be awakened to the fact that Jesus died to dethrone the devil mm -hmm. in all of his wicked ways, and that we must therefore as his ambassadors, as Jesus' ambassadors, Call sinners to repent and believe in the cross and resurrection absolutely. Mm. Point them to the fact that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for their sins so that Christ's righteousness would be counted to their benefit and on their behalf by faith. Absolutely. But we pray that you would also help us to understand that we must call sinners to turn to Christ firstly and then secondly to live in a manner worthy of the gospel once they're in Christ. And therefore, we are required as Christians to call out injustice, to call out racism, to call out and to call people to repent of the many ways in which the devil has worked to divide us through constructing ideas like race and racism, various realities that have entered into history because of that. And Father, we pray that you would please awaken Christians to these truths, Lord. There are so many Christians, sadly, who don't see race conversations as gospel conversations. Father, we pray that this podcast and the things we talked about, that you would use these truths to awaken their hearts to the fact that when Jesus died, he died for the entire cosmos, to redeem the cosmos, to renew the cosmos, so that at the end of the ages, red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, abled and disabled, male and female, educated, uneducated, middle class, poverty and wealth, all these kinds of people will be gathered together in Christ 
who have followed Jesus faithfully in new creation to live in a glorified world. That's the goal of redemption. That's what we're awaiting. And we pray that you would help believers to be awakened to this fact. That they would not simply settle for pious, so-called pious apathy. That there is nothing gospel, nothing Christian about being silent on these issues. But that the gospel is the announcement that God has acted in history to restore everything that Adam has lost. And we pray that the hearers of this podcast would be drawn near to the whole gospel. Not just some racialized, culturally comfortable gospel but a gospel that touches every area of life, even those areas that make us uncomfortable. So, Father, we pray that you would please do that and that you would continue to raise up brothers and sisters from different tongues and tribes and peoples and nations through different churches, from different denominational frameworks who love Jesus and the gospel and the authority of the Bible. Raise these folks up to speak with absolute clarity about the gospel about the atonement, about the resurrection, about the inerrant and inspired Word of God, but also those same people will speak with clarity about how the gospel moves us to speak into and to lean into anti-racist work in our communities, in our churches, in the various places and society in which you place us. And Father, we also pray that you grant us humility. Mm. Father, we need humility. Those of us who are black and brown and yellow need humility because we don't have all the answers to race. No. And white brothers and sisters need humility as well. And black and brown and yellow brothers and sisters, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to allow our white brothers and sisters, or other black and brown and yellow brothers and sisters who don't quite grasp the intersection of the gospel and race, give us the grace to patiently endure one another in love. Yes, Father. And give us the wisdom to know when to shepherd and to guide with patience and to know when just to end the conversation. Yes. It's not our responsibility to force people to believe anything. So give us the grace, Lord, to speak truth and love and to love even when people don't agree with what we say. And Father, we also want to pray for our churches. We pray for our various Christian institutions that you would do a supernatural work to make those places Reflect more what you've done for us in Jesus as it relates to this issue. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we approach you as those who are needy of your help and of your grace to understand difficult topics. And yet, Lord, we approach those as we approach you as those who have faith in your precious promises 
that by divine power, Lord, by your word, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. Father, we pray that you would be delighted by us showing faith in that promise, in your word. Father, I think of uh, what Jarvis said uh, and what Curtis, how they wrote this book, Lord. I just thank you for it, Father. We pray that it would bring fruit. Father, we think of our sister Trillia and her book, God's Very Good Idea. We pray that it would bring uh, the fruit of reconciliation. And Lord, we pray that we would trust you for that fruit, even when we can't see it. Lord, we know that the results are rarely seen in this life. We know that the report card comes on Judgment Day. Father, we don't fear that judgment because of Christ and what he's done. But Lord, as my brother has prayed, let that never give us license for laziness, for love of ease. Father, for just a passivity on these issues. Father, help us to do the work of understanding and working uh, what it means to be people within different ethnic traditions. And what that means for the love of our neighbor. What that means by loving other groups of people. Father, we need wisdom for this. If we're to be faithful disciples who love one another. If we're to show our love to the world, which testifies to you. And Father, the unity you have with the Spirit and the Son, as Jesus prayed in John 17. Lord, let us be one, but let us be one in the truth. Not any, in any lie or, or pretense of false unity. Let us be one in the truth. And give us grace as we work to the, toward that end. Grace to give to one another. Father, help us to forgive. As Jarvis so helpfully defined it here, to not retaliate with any kind of hate or self-hatred. Father, we pray for those who, who, who like Jarvis and Curtis's sons, I've looked at their skin and questioned if you messed up. Who, who want a different skin color? Lord, we know that you are why your word says, Father, all your ways are true. All your works are just. We trust that, Lord. Help us to not internalize messages of self-hatred. Help us to love ourselves in the correct way, not in the way the world tells us to love ourselves, but Lord, help us to love ourselves. Father, help us to love ourselves out of love for you. And Father, help that love for ourselves to spill over into love for our neighbor that we prioritize even over love for ourselves. Father, we can so, we can so, we so often badly love ourselves. We badly love our neighbors and we badly love you, but we come confessing our sin. Lord, asking for forgiveness in Jesus' name, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We praise you for that, Father. Father, I pray for Jarvis as he continues to labor, as he continues to study, as he continues to write. Father, give him wisdom in all his dealings as he continues to teach at Southern. Father, thank you for the ways and all the things he's taught me. Father, I pray as he, can, as he continues to teach his beautiful family, 
Father, would you continue to bear fruit even in his home and life and encourage him in his labors? We pray for Curtis, all these same truths for him, Father, that Curtis would be built up uh, as he studies, as he thinks through uh, his work on Phyllis Wheatley. And uh, Father, all these racial matters, Lord, would you give him great wisdom? Bless him and his family. Father, we pray for Trillia as she writes on this issue, Father. Father, we need you, your help, your resources. If we are going to wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and authorities, Lord, of darkness, we need you. Help us in Jesus' name and help our children. Because, Father, uh, we know we won't be around forever. They'll be the ones filling the church, we pray. So help them. For unity's sake that testifies to your unity. With the, with the Spirit, with the Son, help us, we pray. For the sake of your name, help us in ways that we don't even know we want to be helped in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jarvis, thank you for joining us, brother. If uh, people want to follow you, they can find you at the seminary, uh, and they can find your work, and you're on Twitter as well, uh, Dr. J.J. Yeah, at Dr. J.J. Williams. Yeah, great. Uh, bro, uh, brothers and sisters, thank you for joining us on United We Pray. You can follow us at PrayPod. Uh, you can uh, email us at PrayPod at gmail.com. I was just reading a number of uh, encouraging emails uh, that folks sent in. Uh, we'll be back, uh, Lord willing, in the fall with another season. Uh, this is a summer special. Uh, hopefully you can enjoy this. And go get Jarvis's book. Yeah, <laughs> go get them. Uh, he has more books. One new man. He has other books on this topic. Uh, but these, uh, these, I'm telling you, these books, um, the Gospel in Color. It's beautifully illustrated. Uh, it's remarkably simple. So even if you listen to this conversation, you're like, wow, this is complicated. It's simple in the books. Trust me. Go get those books. Support um, Curtis's and uh, Jarvis's work, uh, brothers and sisters. Go get them. Run, don't walk. Jarvis, any other word uh, for our listeners? I just thank you for the privilege of having this conversation. Mm, well, brother, thank you for your work and all that you've taught me. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for your friendship, your mentorship. I uh, love you deeply, brother. You too, brother. Uh, may God give us grace going forward, grace, and peace. Pray.